Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Introvert Theater Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Up in the Air, directed by Jason Reitman, based on a book by Walter Kirk. Uh, thematically, I feel like this film deals a lot with isolation and how personal philosophies can sort of clash. Uh, the film centers around three characters named Ryan, Alex, and Natalie. So we'll start with Ryan, who practically lives out of an airport at the, as his company uh, CTC, which is short for the Career Transition Corporation, has him on the road for over 250 days a year. Uh, CTC is basically hired out by larger corporations around the U.S. to provide mass firings, and Ryan's job is to make sure that it's done in an efficient and dignified manner. So what he does is he essentially meets with these uh, employees that are due to be terminated, and he hands out packets with a layout of the severance package and what they're being offered, and advice on what to do next. And his personal philosophy, which I'll get into later, leads to a life of isolation and free of any commitments, which you'll see kind of works to, to his advantage, but also to his detriment. Uh, Natalie is more of a go-getter, who's just out of college and sharp as a tack. In fact, Ryan is called home by his boss because of a proposal that she's drawn up that'll kind of revolutionize their work. Her personal philosophy, on the other hand, is more structured, kind of like these workflow charts that she's organized for CTC, and she's real specific with regard to status and where she wants to be in life, at a specific point in life. Uh, next, we meet Alex, who Ryan meets at a bar at the Hilton that he's staying at. They start a conversation based on elite status as they compare loyalty cards and uh, frequent flyer miles that they've accumulated while on the job. And what starts as a casual conversation turns to flirtation and uh, sexual innuendo and eventually leads to them having casual sex. Uh, based on this interaction, they schedule when to meet again and make note in their laptop. So they're kind of scheduling around each other, in a sense. Uh, he escorts her back to her room, and Ryan heads back to Nebraska for the meeting. Now, in the meeting, Natalie is asked to introduce a new term that she's coined, which is glocal. And essentially, she's proposed to have all 23 employees of CTC grounded in Nebraska to cut down on expenses and travel and resources. So naturally, Ryan's threatened by this and can practically see his lifestyle, his lifestyle be thrown out the window. And in trying to undermine her, their boss ends up asking him to take Natalie out on the road to show her the ropes and get accustomed to firing people before they roll out the new online program, which allows them to basically terminate people from their office. So from here, uh, Natalie and Ryan hit the road, and we as the audience experience more firings and see how she responds to sitting in an actual room with an, em with an employee that, you know, eventually is going to be an empty seat. In fact, there's a great shot in this, in this uh, travel montage of her sitting in a near-empty office building surrounded by empty seats, as we see how she's basically, she basically has a better idea now of how what CTC does affects others as she sits kind of comp contemplating the value in all of it. Um, during the course of the next few moments, Ryan and Alex become closer and spend more time together than either of them really anticipated. Uh, personalities and philosophies clash, and eventually they all go their separate ways as Nat and Ryan head back to Nebraska to learn the ropes of the new online program. Uh, 
Um, of course, Ryan takes a detour and asks Alex to join him and be his plus one at his younger sister's uh, wedding, leading to a conclusion that I personally didn't see coming. But before we get there, I want to talk about the personal philosophies and how they sort of clash with one another. So I'll start with Ryan. As I mentioned, his philosophy keeps him free of commitments and keeps him anywhere but home. In fact, he speaks at motivational-type gatherings or conferences. He uses a backpack as his example. He asks people to imagine filling it with little knickknacks and personal belongings, uh, couches, tables, TV, and eventually their homes. He tells them to imagine the weight of not... He tells them basically to imagine the weight on their shoulders and try and walk, which of course would be impossible. He says, we weigh ourselves down until we can't move, and make no mistake, moving is living, he says. He also quips that photos are for people who can't remember, so we get a good sense of how his lifestyle has affected his habits and vice versa. Next, we'll talk about Natalie. Aside from being the go-getter, she's incredibly professional and sharp, and this sort of reflects in the way she even dresses. Uh, she dresses in very modern pantsuits, and her hair is pulled back tightly in a ponytail and not, not leaving one hair out of place. Uh, when she meets Alex, she has a discussion with both Ryan and her about how her boyfriend broke up with her via text message. Uh, we find that Natalie is the is only in Nebraska because she followed her boyfriend there and thought she could make it work, despite having a job offering in uh, San Francisco. Uh, she tells Alex that she's upset over the breakup because it, it feels like a failure, and she has a very specific idea of what she wants in a guy. For instance, um, someone with a bachelor's degree, the outdoorsy type with a great smile, and who's a dog lover, and so on and so on. She also has an idea of where she wanted to be at the age of 23. She says uh, she saw herself with a kid working in a corner office, and you know, so on and so forth. Just these list of demands that you don't necessarily think about, that she already has um, kind of an established idea of and how to take control of a specific situation. Um, she's more for stability in relationships, uh, obviously, as of opposed to Ryan. And that leads us to Alex, who is also like Ryan, She's open to relationships with no attachments. She even tells him to um, think of her as himself, just with a vagina. So during this conversation with uh, Natalie, she basically tells her that once you hit 34, physical requirements don't really matter as much. She says that she would just settle for a nice smile at that point, and Natalie just really thinks that's really pathetic. Uh, Natalie quips that maybe she should try dating women if that's the case, and Alex kind of snaps back at her and says that she already has, and that, quote, we're no picnic ourselves. She says, um, by the time you find someone, the only person left to judge you will be the 23-year-old girl with a target on her back. And after this conversation, um, once Alex has left, Natalie sees a spark between Alex and Ryan. And the only thing she's known about Ryan up until this point is that one of his goals is to hit 10 million frequent flyer miles. 
He tells her this is because he he gets a li- he'll get a lifetime executive status with American Airlines. He'll get to meet the chief pilot, and would even get his name on the side of a plane. She tells him he's experiencing a fear of mortality. She sees him as sort of shallow, but she seems invested in the idea that Alex could be someone more to him, and that maybe it would benefit him to follow up on that notion. They get into this argument as they take a photo um, from for his sister's wedding. Kara, who is Ryan's older sister, sent out a package earlier in the film with a cardboard standee of both his younger sister and her fiancé um, hugging one another, with instructions to take a picture of the standee in front of certain landmarks. Now, this is important, and I'll get to why later. But we're going to fast forward to Natalie and Ryan walking through an airport, and him leaving her to head back to Nebraska while he decides to head out to Las Vegas to meet back up with Alex. Now here, both he and Alex take a picture of the standee in front of the Luxor Hotel, and he makes it a point to ask her to join him and be his plus one at his sister's wedding. She's kind of reluctant at first, but agrees to go with him to Wisconsin. Now, at his sister's wedding, he takes the photos that he took while on the road and walks them to a large map of the U.S. That, that's kind of spread across a wall. Now, he notices it was a group effort, and that there are photos of the same standee pinned to various locations throughout the U.S. He goes up to his sister and asks her what the point of this was, and she tells him that because of a real estate investment and a financial venture that her husband-to-be took part in, that they didn't really have the money to spend or actually go on a vacation, but that that it didn't really mean that they couldn't have pictures. Now, just earlier at one point, at one of his speaking conferences, he mentioned photos are for people who can't remember. And now he sees a situation where photos serve a specific meaning for those that can't really afford, you know, the kind of lifestyle that he leads. So in in a sense, photos are not only a, a means of remembering, but could also serve as more of a tangible goal, even if it seems out of reach at that specific point in your life. And I think he doesn't really realize it until that point, and it kind of hits him pretty hard. Now, without getting into too much detail about the Wisconsin trip, I want to get into the ending, which Ryan walks Alex to her gate, and she's to head back home to Chicago. She jokingly mentions how different he seems after the wedding and wonders how their paths will cross again now that he's kind of, you know, going to remain in in Nebraska, remain glocal, as Natalie put it. She asks him to call her when he misses her, and she she just heads to her plane. Uh, Early on in the film, the CTC secretary mentions to Ryan that he's been invited to speak at a large conference in Las Vegas. So he ends up heading back to Vegas, and during the conference, he finds that he just can't get through his speech this time. He stops midway, and he actually leaves the conference. Here, he finds that his philosophy has changed quite a bit, and he can't accept that he wants to detach himself from people, and especially now that he's found some someone special in Alex. So next thing you know, he's racing through the airport, and flies out to Chicago. 
He pulls up to Alex's home in a rental car, and already things just seem kind of off, because it's a real nice two-story in a very, very nice nice part of Chicago, um, most of which require at the very least to have uh, two people that are fairly well off to live in. So he rings the doorbell, and Alex answers and is shocked to see him, of course. Uh, she remains silent as two children run up behind the, the stairs. Uh, Ryan is just as shocked and starts to back away slowly, and a, a male voice can be heard asking, Who's at the door, honey? She looks at Ryan one last time, and she starts to close the door, and her answer is, Oh, just someone who's lost. He's on the monorail in O'Hare Airport, heading to his gate, and she actually calls him. And when she does call him, she's in her car, kind of secluded in a parking structure, and tells him that he really could have messed things up for her. And she she tells him that she sees him as an escape, a break from normal life, and a parenthesis. She tells him that she's a grown-up, and knows what she wants, and that if he would like to see her again to call. And they hang up. Now, on his, fight, uh, on his flight back to Nebraska, it's announced by the flight attendants that he's hit 10 million miles, and the chief pilot sits next to him. He tells Ryan that he's the youngest to hit that many miles, and only seven, pe- only seven people prior to him have done it. He asks where he got the time, and Ryan doesn't really know how to respond. And uh, the pilot asks where he's from. And Ryan just sits there kind of stumped. And he tells him that he's thought about this moment for years. And now that he's finally arrived at this point, he doesn't really know what to say. And he tells tells him that he's from here. As for Natalie, we find that she quit because there was a a woman that she had fired earlier who threatened to jump off a bridge and come to find she actually did. Ryan calls the number on the back of his executive status card and has enough miles transferred into an account for his sister and her husband so they can fly around the globe. He also writes a nice letter of recommendation which helps Natalie get hired during an interview in San Francisco. And the movie ends with Ryan going to an airport, looking up at the boards and taking flight to pretty much anywhere he chooses. So, the ending has thrown me off for the longest time. Um, When I initially saw it, I thought... I thought that Alex telling him that he was immature and that she was a grown-up seemed kind of out of place, I guess, at the time. It was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> it didn't seem like she was in any kind of position to judge him. But then again, I eventually thought and just kind of and sat back and thought about Ryan as a character. And yes, he's very shallow at times, but he also kind of puts himself in a position to where he doesn't have to lim- live with the same restraints that we have, average everyday Joes. And in a way, he, he, he kind of allows himself to 
sort of toy with people's emotions and who knows how many relationships or um, anything resembling a relationship he's had prior to Alex. So it's it's kind of a double-edged, I guess a double standard, right? Because he... It, it's not in... It's, I felt that it wasn't really my place to judge the, either of the characters because they're all written so well and they're all very three-dimensional. So it, you understand where they're coming from and why they do the things they do. And if you know people like that in your life, um, you know that they react out of their living situation. So you can't really judge either of them. And I try not to judge people based on, on actions. And I guess one important thing to note about the ending too is we have to go back to the beginning because the movie starts off not with an introduction to these characters, but um, the director, Jason Reitman, actually hired people that were terminated during this um, unemployment crisis we had back in 2008. And it's a montage of all of these individuals getting fired, just kind of reacting to the fact that they're going to be without a job. So you come, you come across these men and women who are just sitting there responding with things like, um, with statements like, I don't know how I'm going to go home to my wife. I don't know how I'm going to go home to my husband and explain this to them. I don't know what I'm going to tell my kids about, you know, what we're going to or not going to do this weekend. It's a really interesting way to start off the movie because it gets you in that headspace without introducing any kind of a setting. Now, at the end of the movie, a lot of those same people that were terminated uh, return in sort of a, another montage towards the end, just before Ryan gets his big dialogue. And their responses are a little different by the end. You know, they say things like... Um, I find that my wife is my inspiration for getting up in the morning. I thought it would be more difficult than it actually is, but, you know, my kids remind me of of what I need to do to provide for my family, and they they, may, they make the experience that much easier. So all of these people are kind of commenting on something that Ryan is lacking. He has practically no family. The family that he does have doesn't really talk to him much. They barely even recognize him. So despite all these riches, I mean, he's really just lacking the personal relationship that he almost had with Alex, and I think that's why he pursued it the way he did without even really considering how his actions would affect her. So with regard to personal philosophies... I think the way that this movie explores them is really interesting because all three of them have a really clear and defined set of of uh, philosophies that they live by. And again, it's it's either to their advantage or to their detriment. And seeing their interactions as a result of those philosophies is what makes this movie kind of unique. Because you, you get to really see these philosophies in action and how ultimately they, they cause and affect 
one another in certain situations. So I guess to kind of wrap it up, I, I really enjoy this movie. I wouldn't say that it's in either a top 10 or a top 5, but I think it's a really interesting look at um, modern romance, maybe. Kind of subverting the idea of what romance or rom-com should be. And I think it, it leaves room to kind of explore personal philosophies, maybe your own philosophies and uh, your friends or your partners, and just kind of leave it open to discussion. So with that, I think I've said all I need to or can say about the movie. Um, as far as next week goes, I'm, I, I want to change it up a bit and not focus so much on the dramatic, but I, I really, really want to get into this, uh, this small movie you guys might have heard of called Batman Returns, as directed by Tim Burton. It's actually the sequel to the Batman 89 film that we're all familiar with. Part of the reason I want to talk about that film in particular is because I really want to talk about how setting and tone and more specifically um, score can affect a movie and, and just kind of move uh, or progress a story. And in this case, I feel like as far as Batman Returns goes, I think it's a really unique movie because you could very well watch it without any any sort of dialogue. And Danny Elfman's score and the mood and the tone and the um, the set production really, really enhance this movie, which ends up being almost a complete departure from Batman 89. And I, I think it's just one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And I'll get into why. And I'm looking forward to that one because it's not going to be topically so heavy. Um, but anyways, I, that, that's it for this week. I hope you guys tune in next week. Uh, thanks for listening.